What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner, and on this show, I cover Bitcoin macro, um, kind of the ins and the outs of the Bitcoin industry. I am very contrarian, so this is not your typical Bitcoin or Bitcoiner podcast. I am a hardcore Bitcoiner, Bitcoin maximalist, but I come from a deflationary point of view, which you will see in one of the stories we're going to cover today. Um, Let's see, Wednesday, the the new cycle for Bitcoin is kind of slow right now. So I picked out a couple things to talk about. I'm going to open the mic up on Telegram to see if anybody has any questions, comments, concerns from over there towards the end. And that's going to be about it for today. So let's get into quickly uh, what you're seeing on the stage here or uh, on the screen here is uh, the website, BitcoinandMarkets.com, that's where you can keep up with all the content that I am producing. I am in the middle of writing a new blog post. It's Right now, I'm at about 2,000 words, and it's about de- oh, sorry, de-dollarization and inflation. So a lot of people are talking about de-dollarization and how it matches with this idea of higher for longer inflation. You know, like we've gotten used to having sub-2% inflation for a long time. And now we, we need to get used to having 5% inflation for a very long time because of de-dollarization. Now, if you know my content, you know I don't buy that for a second. And so I walk through the ideas of how de-dollarization, de-globalization go together hand in hand and how de-globalization and de-dollarization, they actually work towards a deflationary outcome. So uh subscribe over there on bitcoinmarkets.com you'll be notified as soon as that goes live it will go first to uh paid members at the $5 a month level and then about a week later I'll put it out for everybody else so okay let's get on to the charts real quick as you can see the price is dipping um sitting at 26,179 and on my Monday newsletter, I added this arrow. I was thinking if we could get up above this red trend line up to 28,500, between 28,500 and 29,000, that would signal that this was a breakout. And you see, we have actually fallen the other way. I wanted to bring up another chart here. This is by Check Matey on Twitter. And it is the Bitcoin sell side risk ratio and i did share that with telegram so you guys have seen that um and this is showing that it is pretty close to an all-time low sell side risk that means that sellers are extremely exhausted not not very many people are parting with their coins either if they're in profit or if they're not in profit so you know there is a a very low likelihood that we will see a, uh, you know, a sustained sell-off in the Bitcoin price. So let's go back to the chart and let me snap that and share that with Telegram real quick. Telegram is audio only, so they, they aren't seeing the charts, but that is where I do most of my macro posting nowadays. I don't really post all that much to Twitter. Not on Nostra yet, but I will. I've been, I mean, that's probably the most asked question is, are you on Nostra? So I definitely need to get on there and uh, start zapping some people. So, okay, 
that's the Bitcoin price. I do not expect a significant sell-off. We have support down here at the round 25,000 mark. Let me bring up some of the moving averages on the daily. We are breaking below this 100-day, but the 200-day, I mean, it's it's creeping up. If there is a chance that we can go bounce off the 200-day moving average, but if we go to the weekly chart, we can see that um, if we close above 26,200, we will be closing above the 200-week moving average, and I think this one is more significant than the daily at this point. And as Check Matey pointed out, and I just showed you that chart, the, um, what was it called now? The sell side risk is the lowest that it's been in a very long time, almost historic lows for sell side risk on Bitcoin. So I'm not too concerned about that. Let's go to some other macro charts real quick. Oil. Well, first let's go to the dollar because this is one that is finally starting to work out as I have been predicting. So this is not the dollar. Here we go. And we're up at 103. Moving through some resistance. That is the 2016 high. We are above the COVID crash high. So we are still up here in the clouds where most people will tell you that the dollar should be getting weaker, right? With all this talk about de-dollarization, yet the dollar is extremely high just compared to back to 2021 when it was down at 90. And now it's up at 103. There's a very nice Adam and Eve formation here on uh, for a bottom. And I do expect it to go up. Uh, we'll see right now it's going up quite quickly. And that would imply a dollar wrecking ball scenario. But I don't expect that. I still do not expect that. I have been expecting the dollar to gradually strengthen. The dollar wrecking ball happened back in 2022. And now we are just going to see this play out in a higher range. So I won't be surprised if it gets back up to 110, falls back to 103 uh, for the next few years. That is the way this dollar will work out. Okay, let's now go to oil. And this is a weekly chart. Let's go back down to the daily. It is making an effort to come up here. That sell-off that we had back on the 4th of May. Sorry, I didn't share that dollar chart with Telegram. But there's the oil chart. Um, the sell-off that we had back in May was kind of a bottom here for us. I would not be surprised with um, an attack up above 80 uh, on the price. There has been talk now again from OPEC saying that they are, well, implying that they are considering a further cut to production. So remember, they're already down three, what is it, 3.6 million barrels per day from their, what they could be producing or what their quota was just a year ago. And now they're talking about further production cuts, trying to keep the price of oil elevated so that they can pay their bills. The problem with that is that, you know, prices are going down for a reason. Oil prices are going down for a reason because demand is falling. 
and that would, uh, you know, demand is falling probably because the economy is slowing and saving money on gasoline and saving money on oil would help people in bad economic times and come out of recession, okay, globally. If OPEC cuts, all they're doing is they're harming their customers because they won't be able to save the money on their gasoline and then they won't be able to spend it elsewhere to get out of recession. So OPEC is um, hurting their customers here. And by keeping the price of oil higher, they're just guaranteeing that the demand will remain subdued for longer. So while I won't be surprised with oil going back above 80 in the near term or even the medium term, long term, I'm talking five to 10 years, the price of oil minus a nuclear war or minus the closing of the Straits of Hormuz or something like that, you know, there's always those other things that could happen. I'm just talking basic supply and demand forecasting out right now. Supply should outpace demand. And that means that price will be subdued for the next five to 10 years. Okay. Um, I wrote a long piece, if you guys are interested, for my Market Pro on the oil glut that we're experiencing right now compared to the oil glut in the early 80s. So you can check that out if you want to. It is a um, the premium subscription on the website. But um, yeah, that's where that one is. Okay. Let's, that's all for prices. Let's check out this post on zero hedge velocity and money supply inflation's inflation's dance partners authored by michael Leibowitz of the real we have interviewed him on fedwatch i believe it was back in 2021 now it could that be yeah it was back in 2021 we interviewed him And he was talking about an inflationary impulse, which turned out to be correct. I mean, this, depending on what you mean by inflation. Okay, I'm a very strict inflation uh, or strict about my definition of inflation, being that it it has to be about money supply. It can't be about prices because prices can go up and down for many reasons, like OPEC's trying to do, right? OPEC is artificially cutting supply to force prices up. Now, is that inflation? No, that's a supply constraint. That's not money printing. It tells us something that's going on about the market. It sends artificial market signals because prices are information. And if you artificially manipulate price like that, then you're going to send different market signals most likely it's going to for example it could uh, signal to shale producers that hey we're super profitable still right now demand is falling but we're super profitable still so let's continue pumping let's open up some new uh new wells new open up some new rigs whatever pump some more oil and so you know it sends the false signal that there's higher demand than there is out there but anyway um okay back to this story is most uh, let me just go through reading this and i will try to comment on uh throughout here most people think the nation's money supply is the sole cause of inflation all right 
right off the bat, money supply is the sole cause of inflation. Okay, depends what you mean by inflation. If you define inflation as the money supply and increase in the money supply, then of course, it's definitionally that way. But you can see how you start getting confused when you add in prices. Prices confuse everything when you include prices as inflation. Then you have to add adjectives like monetary inflation or price inflation. And that just makes it even more confusing. Because how do you fight price inflation? Well, now that's going to be a different thing. You, you actually fight price inflation the same way you would fight a supply constraint. So why not just call it a supply constraint? Why call it inflation? Because everything is inflation. Uh, on Telegram, I posted a tweet from Nico yesterday. He's a great Bitcoiner, great guy. Um, I think he's a Miami native. But he said that inflation is theft. And if you disagree with that, you know, you're legitimizing their scam. Okay, but what do you mean by inflation? It's very hard to piece that out because, yes, if you're just strictly printing of money haphazardly, yes, that is that is a invisible tax or it's theft. But what are you talking about inflation? You know, if there is a if there is a a late frost or would that be late? No, let's say early frost in Florida and it damages the, the orange crop. And the price of orange juice goes up. Is that theft? No, because those prices are going up due to other circumstances besides money printing. So we need to decide what is inflation. And in the very first sentence, I'm still in the first sentence for God's sakes. Michael Leibowitz says, uh, people think the nation's money supply is the sole cause of inflation. Of course it is. It is an identity. That is what it equals to. All right. They fail to realize inflation has two equal dance partners. Oh, okay. Let's educate me here. The money supply at, and the velocity of the money supply dance hand in hand to determine the rate of inflation. No, to determine prices, not inflation. The money supply is shrinking for the first time since at least 1960. Which money supply are you talking about? M2 money supply? Okay, but that's just like one sliver of what money is today. There should be M64. We stopped at M3, then we got rid of M3. Back to M2. That didn't work when it was originally, you know, created, and it didn't work when they created M3, and now it's not working when they to measure money when they go back to M2. It's not the money supply. The money supply might be shrinking, but it's not shrinking based off this M2 chart. Okay. That's very important because when he brings in velocity. He bases it off M2 because velocity is based off of the measure of money you're using. You can have the velocity of M0, the velocity of M1, the velocity of M2. But you're basing the velocity off of the supply of this specific measurement. 
That's very important to understand. Uh, yet, despite the most significant decline in the money supply in 60 years, inflation remains sticky. Okay, if inflation is remaining sticky or prices are remaining sticky, it might mean that this isn't money supply. Go, my God. Imagine that, people. So I'm running an experiment and I say, if I drop money supply, prices should drop. And I drop something I'm calling money supply, but prices don't drop. Scientifically, you should say, this isn't measuring money supply. What? The unscientific thing would be to add complicating factors that inflation is sticky. You know, that there's manipulation out there. Somebody is expertly, omnipotently manipulating the market to keep it this way. Or you don't know what money supply is. Which do you think is more likely? Are you going to be hubristic enough to say that I'm not wrong, the market is wrong? I mean, just let's read that sentence one more time. I mean, I like like Michael Leibowitz. I think he's a very good writer, but let's read this one more time. Despite the most significant decline in money supply in 60 years, inflation remains sticky. So he can write that and think he knows what money supply is and use the improper definition of inflation all in one sentence. Holy crap. Okay, so that's a nice chart. Let's go keep going. I want to get to the inflation stuff because I am crunched for time. Okay, the word transitory was relentlessly spoken by Powell and other Fed members to describe an unexpected short burst higher in prices. We suppose the Fed reasoned that the pandemic-related supply chain issues would ease as the vaccine took hold. At the same time, they must have thought consumer spending from the barrage of fiscal stimulus would fade and demand would quickly fall back towards normal levels. Therefore, normalizing supply and demand would bring prices back to pre-pandemic levels. Yes, but also they thought that correctly, that this what the, it, they weren't doing money printing. I mean, even though Powell got out there on 60 Minutes and said, oh, yeah, we do money printing. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah, you could say we printed a lot of money digitally. Um, they didn't. Okay, QE is not money printing, and they know that because they call it an asset swap. They know they can't print money because it's a get, it's illegal. If they printed money, that's outside of the Fed's mandate. They are not legally capable of printing money. They know what they are doing is an asset swap. They're trying to reshore up or shore up the balance sheets of banks. So then they will go out and lend. And that is where the money printing comes from. The bank's lending. After the Fed has shored up their balance sheet through asset swaps. That's why they thought it was transitory. Because there wasn't any actual money printing. And it is proving to be transitory. Just look at any of the CPI numbers. They're coming down hard. Look at PPI numbers. coming. They're already down back down to 2%. CPI is going to be 2% probably in the next couple months. 
maybe out to July. I mean, this was transitory, people. This was transitory. Okay, uh, let's get into money velocity. Um, okay, so money velocity, they say here, is per the St. Louis Fed. The velocity of money is the frequency at which one unit of currency is used to purchase domestically produced goods and services within a given period. Okay. Uh, in other words, it is the number of times $1 is spent to buy goods and services per unit of time. Now, in the old days, people thought that velocity was relatively stable. I think it was Milton Friedman that uh, treated velocity as very, very sticky and very stable. All right. Um, but in the kind of modern era, they don't. But if you look at this chart, I mean, it's I, it's a mirror image. It's a mirror image. Annual change of M2 and velocity. It is a mirror image. And why is that? Why would, how could that be? Let's look at the definition of velocity of money. And I'll share this tab on the video. Velocity of money equals GDP over money supply. And that's not the only definition I brought up here. I brought up this other one. Um, velocity equals PQ over M or prices. What is that? Prices and quantity divided by the money supply. So same thing we can use. This one is uh, more simple. So we're going to use this one. Velocity of money equals GDP over money supply. So what happens when GDP is relatively stable and the money supply goes up? That means the denominator is getting bigger, which will lower the velocity of money. When the supp money supply goes down and GDP stays relatively constant, the velocity of money will go up. It's a mirror image. Velocity of money doesn't mean squat. Does not mean squat. Okay. Um, I could go farther into this, but I'm going to open it up now for the guys over there on Telegram. If you guys watching on YouTube and Twitter and Twitch, if you want to join the conversation, jump on the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. I'll be there with my guys for the next uh, few minutes. And that's it. Thanks for joining me. Uh, join me every Monday, Wednesday, Friday here for the live streams and Thursdays with Bitcoin Magazine for FedWatch. And I'll check you guys on the next one. Bye.